He looked at me running with my bow legs and said, you know, Kevin, if you could figure out how to replace the meniscus, you'd make a real contribution to orthopedics. And in my arrogant, typical Harvard attitude said, sure, I'll do it. You pay for it. <laughs> and uh, that started us off in the late 1980s. And I designed the first collagen template for regrowing the meniscus. And that became a product out in the marketplace, tested worldwide and act as a regeneration template. And that's the first example really that long ago where we started thinking through, listen, the body has the ability to regrow its tissues. It's just lost that skill over time. You look at a little child when they lose their fingertip, they regrow it. Um, you look at a salamander, it loses its tail, it regrows it. So the genes within your body are there, they're programmed to regrow injured parts, but they're suppressed as you get older so that you don't do that well. And so our challenge and the fun of what I've done in orthopedics over the last 30 years has been to figure out how to give regeneration templates, meaning how to stimulate, how to put a little trellis there, like a rose trellis, mm -hmm. and how to stimulate someone's body to regrow through it. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How-To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com. And the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram. Or you can go to our big account, Saltwater underscore Experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now, let's get on to today's show. I'm Dr. Kevin Stone, and this is the Tom Roland Podcast. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. 
Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, Dr. Stone, thank you for being here. Pleasure. Yeah, you've done some really innovative, innovative stuff. I've been watching your TED Talks. I've been watching some other videos. Very interested in, in uh, what you have to offer today because just like me, an aging athlete and an aging outdoorsman, um, you know, these are things that we are faced with as, as you get to your 40s, your 50s, and you want to continue to do what you want to do. Sometimes your body can be limiting, and uh, I love I love the title of your new book, Play Forever, and uh, just kind of want to get into get into your story and what you do, and maybe understand that there's hope for uh, for playing forever. <laughs> well, let's start from the beginning because you said you're an aging athlete, but you're really not very old. I'm fifty three. So, yeah. So as we like to say, so I've got another fifty. If I'm managing you as your doc. I've got another 50 years of you playing to think through what do I do for you? How do I counsel you? How do I inspire you to look at the fact you're only halfway there? <laughs> and so everything we're going to talk about today, everything we're going to do for you, every way I want to encourage you to be thinking is, look, how do I drop dead at age 100 playing the sport I love? And if you can adopt that attitude, and if the doctors and therapists and people caring for you can look at you that way, then everything we do, everything we talk about today, everything, little bit of advice I'm giving you, uh, every way I think about treating the different injuries has that perspective. So even though I know you started out with, hey, I'm an aging athlete, yeah. you're a pretty young guy in my mind. Well, that's great. I love that. And I love the, you know, what you go directly to is attitude the way that you think about this, because a lot of people think, man, when you're 40, it's, it's all downhill after that. And, and, and it's over. And I think with that attitude, it probably is over, but for the people that really, you know, think that way, take care of their body, you got a lot of, you got a lot of road left. You do. Yeah. So what's your story? How did, how did you um, uh, get into this, this field and into these particular innovations? So it started out pretty young, you know, as a college athlete and tore my meniscus cartilage playing soccer. It was a time at Harvard. I remember the Brown defender going and I reached out at just that last moment. And just remember that story, that last moment of reaching your leg out. It's a mental error and I shouldn't have done it. And I tore my meniscus cartilage, the shock absorber inside your knee. Remember, we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but inside the knee, there's two major types of cartilage, the meniscus and the articular cartilage, that white, shiny surface, that's articular cartilage. And when you get arthritis, it's wearing that down to the bone. But in any case, I tore my meniscus, and that started off the history that millions of Americans have gone through. They tear that shock absorber. The well-meaning doctor goes in and takes it out, and that, that starts the downhill course for their knee, because without that shock absorber, the knee just wears out over time. So fast forward, I, I eventually admired the doctor who took out my meniscus, even though he took it out. <laughs> He's walking around the training room, taking care of athletes. You know, the scene, we've all been there and the doc roaming around bench to bench and giving a few encouraging words to the injured athlete. And I remember looking at him and thinking I could do that. And I'd be very inspired if I could. And so I did, went to medical school and I was out 
for a run with my eventual mentor, a guy named Dick Stedman, who many of your listeners may oh, yeah. remember it from the days. He looked at me running with my bow legs and said, you know, Kevin, if you could figure out how to replace the meniscus, you'd make a real contribution to orthopedics. And in my arrogant, typical Harvard attitude said, sure, I'll do it. You pay for it. <laughs> and uh, that started us off in the late 1980s. And I designed the first collagen template for regrowing the meniscus. And that became a product out in the marketplace, tested worldwide, and act as a regeneration template. And it's the first example really that long ago where we started thinking through, listen, the body has the ability to regrow its tissues. It's just lost that skill over time. You look at a little child when they lose their fingertip, they regrow it. Um, you look at a salamander, it loses its tail, it regrows it. So the genes within your body are there. They're programmed to regrow injured parts, but they're suppressed as you get older so you don't do that well. And so our challenge and the fun of what I've done in orthopedics over the last 30 years has been to figure out how to give regeneration templates Meaning how to stimulate, how to put a little trellis there, like a rose trellis, mm -hmm. and how to stimulate someone's body to regrow through it. And this is in all joints, not, not, I mean, I know that you, you particularly are, uh, specialize in the knee or do a lot of knees, uh, shoulders too, I think, but you can do this all over the body. So fundamentally, the biology is similar, though with differences. I, at Stone Clinic in San Francisco, specialize in shoulder, knee, and ankle. And even amongst those three joints, there's tremendous differences. Mm -hmm. When you walk around on your ankle, that tiny little joint with your big body on it, you know, why does that little joint not develop arthritis mm -hmm. naturally, unless you have an injury, where your knee and your hip do? So there's something unique about the cartilage in that ankle that we study and we work with. And I see tremendously destroyed ankles that people have been told to have an ankle fusion or an ankle replacement, that when we do our biologic stimulation techniques, we can regrow good enough cartilage in those ankles that they work well for a long, long time. Wow. So each joint is a little different. Fundamentally, the biology wants to regrow tissue is suppressed and our job is to figure out how to turn it on. So how do we do that? <laughs> That's the question. That's the million dollar question. How does that happen? So there's lots of ways today in which we do that. And the science is evolving. We're very much involved in research in this space. We have a public nonprofit research foundation called the Stone Research Foundation in San Francisco. And we do lots of studies on exactly how do we do that? And so many of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard about PRP and stem cells and injections, and I'm sure many of them have had those therapies. And that field is growing rapidly now. We know that within your own blood, you can take the platelets out and get them to release their growth factors in a joint or in an injured tissue. And that's the PRP injections you've all heard about. Well, we're getting better and better at identifying which factors in those PRP injections are important for which tissues. So, for instance, an injured ACL in a patient should probably get a different therapy than an arthritic knee. <laughs> and so much of our research is around fine tuning that what we call personalized medicine, where we're studying the individual tissue of each patient and figuring out which factors does it respond to. So to answer your question, a little shorter term right now, 
Injection therapies are a potent tool for regrowing tissue, providing scaffolds such as a meniscus allograft or a donor ligament Mm -hmm. or a collagen scaffold or other ways in which when the tissue is missing, we need to provide a replacement tissue or scaffold, and then we need to stimulate it. So athletes always ask me, hey, doc, why does it take a year to recover from my ACL injury? And there's two parts to that. Number one, the tissue that we put back in your knee to act as a new ACL, we, it takes a long time to remodel. So we're today adding growth factors to that tissue to make it heal faster. But B, ask any athlete what's the worst part about their knee surgery. It's not usually the pain. It's usually the atrophy that they go through mm-hmm. and they have to spend a year building back their muscle. Mm-hmm. So we have a study going on right now that looks at how we can block that atrophy from occurring. Really? So these are some of the ways in which we're regrowing tissues and, and using this whole new field. How, how, explain that. How can you block the atrophy from happening? Like that's super interesting. Yeah, it is. And we, and I can't say that we can yet because we're right in the middle of the study, but I'll tell you how it, what the thinking is. So if I hit you with an ax, mm-hmm. otherwise known as surgery, <laughs> you, have, you have a huge stress reaction. And that stress reaction re- releases cortisol, the, the mm-hmm. stress hormone in your body that you've certainly heard of. That cortisol binds to the muscle receptors and stimulates that atrophy that we see from surgery within eight hours. Wow. That process gets started. So in this study that's partway through right now, we're preloading the patient before surgery with a blocking agent, which is testosterone, a long-acting blocking agent, so that the cortisol doesn't block to those same muscle receptors. Testosterone binds the same muscle receptors as does the cortisol. And so what we want to know is, can we block those receptors and stop that atrophy from occurring? And it may be that we can block at least a percentage of it, which would be very helpful for a lot of people. Sure. You know, when well, I remember when, when a kid used to break his arm or, or, or leg even worse, and, and they would be in a cast and then they would get the cast off and one leg is like a, you know, yeah. like a pencil and the other is, is, is big and strong. And I always wondered, like you, you give that kid, you know, six months or a year or whatever. And now they're, now the legs are equal again, but why didn't the other leg grow like that? Like that leg went from atrophy to back to, you know, full, full strength. But meanwhile, the other leg developed no extra strength. What, why is it's, that? That is so it's weird. It's a great, great, great observation. And the answer is not known, um, but the body clearly can direct the healing response to the site of injury. And that's exactly how we're using the growth factors mm. and stimulants to grab something all your listeners have heard about your body's own stem cells Mm -hmm. to the site of injury. So let me explain that a little bit. You have billions of stem cells within your body, no matter what age you are, as you're older, you have fewer, but you still have billions. The body knows when you have an injury, such as you just described, or arthritis, it stimulates those stem cells to release from their site where they're resting, which is usually on the walls of vessels. They then divide into two. One reproduces the stem cell and one is called a progeny or a progenitor cell. That progenitor cell rushes to the site of injury and directs the healing. So in the analogy you just gave, which is great, the kid in the cast, 
those progenitor cells rush to that site of injury and stimulate the muscle healing response. So when you have an injury right now, or if you have arthritis right now, and we need to treat you, we want to stimulate your body to release those progenitor cells and they'll migrate to that site of injury and then direct the healing. And we're getting better and better at targeting that. Wow. And which is a super exciting part of the whole space we're in. Right. And so when you're getting better and better at targeting that, and this is kind of off off topic, but you see like, you know, people with, with other types of injuries or maybe they go into a coma or they're just going to lay in a bed for an extended period of time, they're going to get atrophy throughout their body. Right. So would yes. that, would that research that you're doing, does that have potential to help people like that as well, like throughout the entire body? Or do you think it's more like centralized into a, an injury or, or, or recovery type thing? So that question's great. And it brings up the topic of how much does your head, how much does your mind or your attitude or the way you're thinking direct your healing response? And so we don't know how to interfere with somebody who's in a coma or somebody who's, you know, convalescent with their whole body is in bed. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to stimulate that whole body healing response yet. And we certainly know that exercise induces bone formation and muscle formation. We'll talk about that some more later on when we talk about joint replacements. But without exercise, it's very difficult to build muscle and build bone. So. But also, without your head in the right space, it's very difficult to produce muscle and bone. Or when you have pain, it's extremely hard to rebuild a joint. So, so many patients will ask me, hey, doc, you know, I've got this knee that needs to be replaced. Should I go work out first and try to get it stronger before surgery? And almost nobody can build muscle if they're having pain. It's a huge inhibitor. So the brain and the mind and the attitude control we can give as many stimulants as we want and it won't work without wow. all those things working together that's really interesting to to me the mind I, I i mean part of an underlying theme of this whole podcast is whether it's it's success or or you know injury or 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 you know athletic performance or whatever just what affect the mind plays and mindset and attitude and the way that you think about things and how that how that plays in you know, in a way that is really not measurable and it's, but it may not be measurable, but it's very observable. You have people that, that think a certain way and they accomplish certain things. And then other people have all the same tools available to them. They're in exactly the same situation. Their mindset is different or they're thinking differently and they don't accomplish I mean, there's winners and losers in everything, right? The winner is thinking a certain way. The loser is thinking a different way. And to see that brought into conventional medicine, especially orthopedics, where that's a very mechanical thing. You are going in and you are fixing something, but then you go directly to the mind. I think that's fascinating. How do you think that all doctors are, are, are giving that it's due like what it, what? Not enough, which is why we wrote the book Play Forever and why I give lectures around the world. But let me give you two great examples of what you just said. So the patient who goes into surgery with a big smile on their face does better. Hmm. They make the recovery room team happy. They make the OR team happy. They make the surgeon happy. They come out with a good attitude and it's colored how the entire experience works. The patient who goes into surgery angry or skeptical or 
just nobody, the, the environment just isn't made happy and they just don't do as well. It's bizarre. <laughs> the other thing that, that I think about quite a bit around the mind is that we want you to think about every injury. Listen, all great athletes, all athletes get hurt somewhere in their career. Mm-hmm. If you can just use your injury as an opportunity. And so think about it. And how do I become, as our trademark phrase is, how do I become fitter, faster, and stronger during this window of time in which I have to go through surgery or I have to go through recovery or I have to do something? Every athlete has that as an opportunity. The ones who use that as an opportunity to come back fitter, faster, and stronger do great. Even if they have a complication or a bump in the road, it's just another challenge. Hmm. And the ones who are, oh, me, oh, my, I'm injured. I've got to take a year off. I can't do anything. They never do as well. Wow. And so as you brought up, that mind really controls what happens. Yeah. So as a doctor, are you talking to your patients, especially the athletes about that? Or do you rely or do you let their their coaches and their, you know, these days everybody has a sports psychologist and other other things? I mean, do you mm-hmm. do you kind of let them take that lead or do you reinforce that about the mind? Uh, oh, it's absolutely part of our care. So the moment we see a patient in every aspect of the way it works in our clinic, where our rehab team, our physical therapist, our sports fitness trainer, our nursing team, our, everybody is involved in seeing those patients. And every patient sees all of them when they come to visit. And part of the deal the, between me and the patient is that, listen, I'll give you my best surgery, but you have to give me your best effort at this whole recovery program. And we see it as what we like to say, an athlete for life. So Once you enter in our world, we never want you to lose you. In a sense, we can help you get through the surgery and the injury, but then we're going to do something called a stone fit test for you at every interval that we can get you back. And that's going to be obviously a lot in the first uh, few weeks and months where they spend two hours a day with our rehab team, our physical therapists and our fitness trainers day one after surgery. And then it's every year coming back one or two times a year, we'll put you through that stone fit test and no athlete, no Olympic athlete, no great athlete should ever be able to pass it. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. <laughs> oh, really? It's designed that, that way, right? Like, Yeah, it's designed to find out where are you weak? What have you been favoring? What part of you have you been ignoring? And we can identify those and help you cross-train, help you think about your total body fitness, help you think about how your head's thinking about it. So what, um, what, what exercises or what tests are you doing in, the, in your stone fit test? Depends on your sport. Oh, okay. So it's individualized to you. 
So you may be a great skater and have phenomenal side-to-side exercise ability, but actually not have very great core strength. Or, or you may be weak in your glutes. And you'd be shocked how many phenomenal athletes just don't pay attention to the rest of their body. Our cyclists have very weak cores mm-hmm. and arched backs. In, in part of that stone fit test, are you also um, measuring flexibility and mobility? Absolutely. So, you know, the definition of fitness we've all learned is so much more than strength and mobility and flexibility, you know, power, accuracy, coordination, balance. These are all part of being a fit athlete. Mm -hmm. And so we want to go through those sort of 10 big principles of what fitness is and figure out where are you good? Where are you weak? How can we help you? Because if we can help you, then you're not going to come back for injuries anywhere near as often. And that's our goal. Keep you out of our clinic for for treatment. But we want to do as many things for you and the least number of things to you. And if we do that well, you'll do well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I definitely want to talk like specifics about like joint replacements and what you're doing and, and stuff like that. But I thought we, maybe we would start with, with arthritis because arthritis is obviously unbelievably common. So a lot of people hear arthritis, they may even have arthritis, but could you just give us a base level of what arthritis is, why, why we get it and why so many people have it? Sure. So let's think about it in sort of two or three major groups. So there's the inflammatory arthritis. That's the rheumatoid or psoriatic arthritis, Lyme disease, all these things where there's some other agent involved. And that usually is about 3% of all of arthritis. The remainder, that other 97% is either osteoarthritis, which may be a genetic component, but more likely in what we see the most of is post-traumatic osteoarthritis, where you've had an injury, somebody, a surgeon took out your meniscus or you tore your ACL or you dislocated your shoulder or tore your rotator cuff or twisted your ankle and it was always unstable after that. And then over time, that white shiny bearing surface we talked about earlier, crack open the chicken wing, that white shiny articular Mm -hmm. cartilage. Well, that irregularity from the injury wears that white shiny cartilage down to the bone. And that's what arthritis is. So just like a car that's out of line, wears out the tires faster down to the steel tread, your joint, if it's left out of line, left without the meniscus, left without the ACL, left unstable, wears down that white shiny surface and you get bone deformity and inflammation and pain. And that's what arthritis is. Now, traditionally, doctors would tell you, take an anti-inflammatory medication or they'd shoot cortisone into the joint, which we try to never do anymore if we can avoid it. And all those things would shut down inflammation, but they wouldn't treat the disease. Mm -hmm. And so to treat the disease, we need to either regrow the cartilage or replace the meniscus and rebuild the ligaments. Or if it's already down to bone on bone and there's no more joint space, then we want to resurface those joints. 80% of people who have been told they need to have a total knee replacement don't. Wow. They either could have a biologic replacement where they get a meniscus put back in or regrow their cartilage, or if they're bone on bone, they could get a partial replacement done or just resurface the one part of the joint that's worn out. And the reason that's a huge advantage is that when we do that, usually with a robot as an outpatient these days, we don't touch their ACL. We don't touch any of their other tissues. We just resurface the part that's worn out. And so the knee feels much more normal. 
Uh, they get a full range of motion and it's an outpatient procedure that can weight bear right away. And it's really changed how we look at these arthritic joints. What would the re, uh, recovery of something like that, if you get that resurfacing of, of the knee like that, um, and you're doing it robotically, like you would be, you would be in California, somebody else would be in Florida and you could do that surgery. Is that what, am I understanding that correctly? Nope. It's not okay. there yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cause we do have something like that. Uh, one of my friends is a, is a, as a thoracic surgeon and he does do like robotic surgery on people at a different place location. So I don't know, explain how, how, what, what this procedure is. We're not there yet, but where are we? Yeah. So what happened in joint, we'll just focus on the knee for now. So in the knee, you can do a partial replacement where you just resurface the one worn out part. Or you can do a full replacement where you resurface the femur and the tibia and sometimes the kneecap. Placement of those implants is critically important. And if they're off just by a few millimeters, the wear patterns like a car that's out of line mm -hmm. wears abnormally. So what came along in our own practice about nine years ago now, but it's been out for a little bit longer than that, was a haptic robot. And what that means is we do a CT scan of the patient's knee. We build a, a model of their knee. We put the implants on the model before ever touching the patient. And we optimize the positioning. Hmm. Then when we go to surgery, we hold a haptic arm, a robotic arm. And just like paint by numbers, it won't let you take away any bone except for where you have planned it. And so it increases the precision of the surgeon dramatically. I'm nowhere near as precise as I could be with, as I am with a robot. And so in my 30 years of doing these partial replacements, my first 15 years or 20, you know, I was using saws and guides and the tools that we had. And I thought I was pretty good. But once the robot came along, I realized how much better I could be with a robotic arm. Now, you asked about recovery. So we this is an outpatient procedure. It takes about an hour and a half to do it. We have them wait bear immediately. And as we mentioned earlier, the next day, they're with our rehab team for an hour with a physical therapist and an hour with a fitness trainer. Because even though you've had your knee operated on, you can still sit on a bike and do well leg spinning. You can do your upper body weightlifting. You can do a lot of core things. And by doing that right away, you blow out the drugs, you get good testosterone going, you get good feeling, you realize good blood flow to the injured site. So that immediate exercise, again, I want you to think about yourself as an athlete in training, not a patient in rehab. Nice. And then back to sport is the most common question all of your, your listeners will ask is, hey, can I run again? And yes is the answer. We have people doing triathlons and marathons and centuries on these partial and total knee replacements. And what's, there's been a huge sea change in that advice. And let me explain that because that's the first thing your listeners will ask is, hey, what happened? I was told I had to go home and rest my knee. So what happened was when people were told to go home and rest their knee, they got atrophy and muscle loss. And so about 30 years ago, we realized at the Stone Clinic, let's tell the patients to go home and exercise even more. The more you exercise, the more you're going to build bone, the more you're going to build muscle. And we looked to see, do we have a higher rate of failure from that? And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And so I then went and lectured around the world about our biologic and bionic treatments. And I would always ask the surgeons in the audience, raise your hand if you've ever seen a patient knock their total joint loose or wear it out from sports and no one ever raised their hand. <laughs> 
And so I wondered, why are we telling patients for decades, go home and rest your knee? So we want to tell patients, go home and exercise even more. And one more thing happened that has really changed this whole field. And that is because the precision of the robot, we can now use implants for a total knee that don't use any cement because the implant fits on it just like a press fit and the body grows into the implant. The bone grows into the implant. So it's part of you. So you're not going to knock it loose. So go run, (laughs) go exercise, go do the things you love to do, do the things that make you happy. And most likely you're going to have a much better outcome. Man, I love it. Mostly, you know, running and, and really we have a tremendous number of fishermen and hunters on this podcast that, you know, hunting elk in the, in the Rocky mountains is like, might as well be mountain climbing. You are hiking up and down mountains. You're going every which way and you start having knee problems and you think maybe those days are behind you, but that's the thing that you love the most about life is that and preparing for that. And then you get this knee issue and it seems like, and you are told in a lot of circles, yeah, those days are over, man. Don't, don't do that. Why are you running? You're, you're just destroying your knees. I hear that all the time. It's like, I I don't know, man. I think, I don't know that I am, but let's go back to this implant um, that, that you're talking about. What is that made out of? Is that actual bone from, from like a cadaver or is that a, what is that, that, that you're doing these partial knee replacements with? Yep. So keep in, keep in mind that we're doing either biologic replacements mm-hmm. or bionic replacements. So if we're doing a bionic replacement, that's artificial materials and it's cobalt chrome on the femur and titanium on the tibia with a high molecular polyethylene in between. <clears throat> These are supposed to be 30 year implants, but we still never see people ever wear them out, huh. even with running. <laughs> on the biologic implants, those are donor tissues. So that's a donated meniscus or a donated ligament. We no longer take your tissues to rebuild and you know, injure one part of your knee to rebuild another. We take them out of the freezer from the donation bank. Wow. Wow. That's cool, man. That is, that is such hope. Now, here's the question that you, you, well, I certainly want to ask, and I have a story to go with it that we may get into or may not, but why, why when you go to, I mean, certainly you're going to, many people are going to go to, to, to their doctor and he's going to tell them exactly what, what you're saying. Like these are, these are the possibilities, but a lot of other doctors are telling, are not telling them that they're saying, uh, this is, this is it, or we're going to do cortisone injections, or I want to get your opinion on hyaluronic acid, because that's something that I've had in my knee before. And I don't know if that's good or bad, or if if I'm on a good road or a bad road, I'd love your opinion on that. But you're getting these very differing opinions of you need a total knee replacement. You're saying 80% of the people don't need a, a total knee replacement, that you could do it a different way, that you could be way better off and have have way less trauma to your body. So why are you not hearing about this? Or if you're not hearing about it, why would that be? It's a complicated question with lots of answers. You know, healthcare yeah. systems have all kinds of different motivations and um, different restraints and restrictions on what they can and cannot offer. And different attitudes amongst uh, physicians who have their own experience or their, you know, their own biases. You should always know the bias of your surgeon. Mm -hmm. So I'm very biased towards, you know, keeping people extremely active. I'm, I'm biased towards doing a biologic solution to avoid a bionic solution or delay one. I'm biased towards only doing a partial replacement 
if I don't have to do anything more than that. Other surgeons have different biases where in their own experience, they would do a full knee replacement quickly and, and think that that's done, that's good enough. And often for their patients, it may be good enough, but patients seeking out my care are looking to get back hunting and get mm-hmm. back climbing in cold streams. And uh, so my job is to figure out how do I get them back in the mountains? How do I get them back in a stream? So if you're a fisherman, you love to be you know fishing on unstable surfaces and rocks. I need to train you immediately after surgery on unstable surfaces. I need to have you standing on a trampoline and just balancing. I need to have you doing pad exercises off and on and off and on so that when you're in that stream, you feel mentally, you've already done that exercise. Mm -hmm. You feel confident to be in the stream. And I love the cold water for cooling down your knee anyhow. So, so I want you there. And the sooner I get you there, the happier you're going to be and the faster you're going to recover. So our attitude is just so much around how to identify what you love to do and help you get back there and help you see yourself and see this injury as, Hey, you know, bummer, I injured my knee, but I'm going to use this, all this training time, treat yourself the way a pro athlete would treat themselves. A pro athlete who gets injured is going to use that off season to have a great strength trainer, a great physical therapist, great massage therapy, great nutrition counseling, great mindset training. And then they're going to come back to their season. Well, you deserve the same treatment that any pro athlete gets, even if you're sport is to walk in the mall. Mm -hmm. So let's just think about how do we train you to get back to your sport and let's sit and talk together about what your sport is. What are the things that you really need to do? What haven't you done in years? Cause you weren't fit enough, or you just thought you held yourself back or your knee hurt. And let's think about how do we knock down every one of those barriers. And then I have a lot of fun when I see, you know, a new fish on the wall behind my patient mm-hmm. and uh, cause you know, and they went out and did it and, and achieved their goal. So part of the thing that we do is bonding with the patient to figure out what is it they want to do. And let's knock down every barrier there is to them getting there. So when somebody comes to see you and they've got knee pain, maybe they've got like something that I've struggled with over the years is patellar tendonitis. And I've been able to get over that uh, through uh, flexibility exercises, mobility exercises, different types of exercises. Uh, you got um, a guy that's close to you, Joe Hippensteel. He has a, a great flexibility program. Another guy that's all over the internet right now is knees over toes guy. I'm sure you know about his work and yeah. it works. It absolutely works in my yep. experience. Um, so when somebody comes in to see you and they're like, man, doc, I, I think I got to do something about this knee. It's really killing me. I can't, you know, do what I want to do. You're going to look at him or her and say, you know, with with a scan or a CT scan or X-ray or whatever, MRI, whatever is necessary, and avoid surgery. Is that what you're saying? As much as possible. Uh, when necessary. So right. we want to identify, is avoiding surgery a good thing for you or a bad thing for you? Meaning if you've got a torn meniscus right. and it's acting like a windshield wiper inside your knee, you're hurting your knee more by doing the sport you love. It's better for us to repair that, regenerate it, regrow it or replace it, and then get you back to sport. If on the other hand, it's something we can cure with injections and growth factors, hyaluronic acid you mentioned. So let's talk about that one because it's a great way to avoid surgery. Mm-hmm. So the natural lubricant in your joint is called hyaluronic acid, another one called lubricin. And used to be from chicken comb, as you all heard about now, it's produced by recombinant techniques. And we've been injecting it in joints for years now, actually decades. Unfortunately, it only lasted for a little while. And what we've learned in research that we did in a prospective double-blind randomized trial, if we add a little bit of growth factor to that hyaluronic acid injection, the lining of your joint 
produces more hyaluronic acid. Wow. And so we can stimulate and get a much longer response. We got up to a one year response after a single injection, combining hyaluronic acid with growth factors. Wow. And so it's a great tool. It doesn't work for everybody, but the response rate is about 80% or more. And when it works, it's awesome. And it's not just for joints, it's for tendons, for lateral epicondylitis, which everybody gets somewhere along the line. And, and we now have a spine injection doctor in our clinic focusing on how do we get cortisone out of the spine? All the patients who have gone in and gotten an injection in their spine of cortisone, we know that cortisone degrades tissue. It inhibits protein metabolism. It shuts down cell behavior. It does all the things we don't want to have happen. So how do we take what we've learned in the knee and apply that to the spine. And we're just learning, but we're doing it. It's funny because you're so you're so certain about that, but yet my friend just went to his his doctor with knee pain. First thing he did is shoot him up with cortisone. And I even told him, I was like, you should ask about this hyaluronic acid. And he asked, but he got cortisone. Like this is what yeah. we do. So like it's just that's just the way that guy does does business and yeah. he feels very strongly that that's the, the right way. I, I ran into this with with my son's eyes. He had um he had a condition um, called uh, keratoconus and keratoconus is where the eye wants to take a shape like a football rather than taking a shape like a basketball. And yeah. it, the, the fibers in the eye get weak and it just wants to take that shape. Well, the, the, the common um, solution was a cornea transplant. And we were told that that's what he was going to have to have. And I did some research and I was like, man, that seems really extreme a cornea transplant you're going to lop off the end of his eye and put somebody else's eye on there and there's like it it wasn't a good prognosis like this did not look good so anyway i found a doctor out your way dr brian boxer walkler who had this different um procedure where he used this vitamin b treatment and blue light and he could stop keratoconus and then he absolutely did it and my son has well they stopped the keratoconus then he got some special contact lenses now he can see better than 2020 and he never had to have any of those surgeries and everything but this is this is all very very familiar to me just because of of my personal um experience with that and some doctors wanting to say well no cornea transplants the only way this other stuff doesn't work don't listen to them and yet it's like, that's my son. And I don't want to put him on the table to have his eyes chopped off. Like this, yeah. you know, so there, there has to be a, something else. Yeah, that's a great story. Here's a good rule of thumb for you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, all doctors have biases. It's good to get to know the bias of your physician. But just, I listen to my patients and I ask them always, what do you think is wrong with your knee or your shoulder or your ankle? What do you think the diagnosis is? What do you think you need? And it's stunningly common and accurate. Patients often really intuitively know what they need and what's wrong. And if you listen well enough, you the diagnosis is often made long before we ever put hands on. <laughs> and uh, so within the first 30 seconds or a minute or two, I almost always know exactly what's wrong by the patient telling me. Like what would somebody and, be, what would a common thing be? Like I need a shock absorber in my knee or you know, something? I think, I think, I think my I think there's something catching in my knee. Huh. I mean, that's, it's probably your meniscus is torn and immediately, you know, or there's something called two-fisted sign. The patient will sit there and they'll go like this. My knee feels like that. Yeah. And so, you know, their ACL is torn and in your son's case, I mean, you just intuitively know there's gotta be some way to work with this biology mm -hmm. and use your intuition 
And it's okay to Google your doctors or Google information or a search around. There are doctors who are trying to push forward the science and there are doctors who are just much more comfortable doing what they've always done. And that's not a criticism at all. You right. have to have, a, I have an entire team behind me, an entire research team and a public nonprofit research foundation, which people can go look at information on stoneresearch.org. And um, it takes a team, it takes an attitude, it takes an approach, it takes a risk, because sometimes we're trying things that we don't have as good science behind as we want to have, but we know it should be there. It takes enrolling patients in studies, and it takes just a curiosity and a drive to say, hey, look, if we're doing the same thing next year that we're doing this year, we haven't learned anything. And we, sh- we need to figure out how to make it better. Mm. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I, there's just so much hope in this, in this conversation because I, I don't know. I mean, there's just, you just run into this. It's not only just in, in, in orthopedics and, and, and everything else. Like I like to do CrossFit. And if you do that, most doctors roll their eyes and they're just like, Oh yeah, that's why, that's why you're injured. And it's like, well, if I told you that I, I like to swim and I like to row and I walk and I like to lift weights and I watch my diet really closely, you would tell me that those are all great things. But if I mix them together and you call it CrossFit, it's a horrible thing. And it's the worst thing ever. And I, I get it. I, listen, I get it. There are lots of injuries. Uh, because people jump in too fast or they, they do things that they're not supposed to. But um, it's when you want to do something like that and you use that as um, your training for everything else in your life, that's what you like to do. And you want to continue to do it. And what you're saying is, is, is full of hope because once, you know, there's, there's just this, this thing out there in society. I had this other uh, doctor uh, on the podcast and, and he was about, it was about, um, you know, keeping your edge after 40, Dr. Mike Simpson. And um, a lot of his stuff is, is mental training as well about, you know, thinking that you're not, that it's not over when you turn 50. Like, I love what you're saying that you're only halfway there. Like, listen, you, if you're broken down now, you can get fixed back up and you can finish this race, right? Like that's, that's awesome. But, um, that's so cool. So all the stuff that you're doing is, is, is really amazing in, in we've, we've covered some of this, but in one of the things that I saw on your, on your, um, well, would you want to cover, um, the animal tissue, uh, in your Ted talk, what you were talking about with, the with, um, these knee replacements and uh, biologic knee replacements, and maybe that we don't have enough cadavers for a global kind of knee replacement for everyone. And then that you were suggesting animal tissue could be used. Sure. So traditionally in orthopedics around the knee, especially when somebody would injure their ACL or their meniscus, people would take another part of their body to rebuild, especially the ACL. They take your patellar tendon or your hamstring tendons. And we knew that a second site surgery is producing damage in one part of someone's knee that just to rebuild another. I'm not an orthopedic. That doesn't seem like a good idea to me. It just wasn't a good idea. And so we were studying how to use donor tissues many, many years ago, mm-hmm. and they've become very popular now. And every tissue has pros and cons, but in our own practice, we almost always use donor tissue rather than taking the patient's own tissue, even in young athletes, even though there's different data about that. 
Um, however, there's never enough young, healthy tissue. And that's because in America, anyhow, you have to opt in to become a donor. You're, you have to choose. It should be the other way. You should have to choose to opt out. And then many people will forget to do it. And we'll have a lot more donors and plenty of tissue to go around. But right now, there's not enough young, healthy tissue. So the opportunity to use animal tissues uh, where the animal's already being harvested for other food supply or other things, and the tissues would otherwise be thrown away. We can use those tissues if we can remove the antigens that cause rejection. Yeah, that was my question. So, I want to yeah. go through that. Yep. So there's one key carbohydrate that's responsible for about 95% of the rejection when you take an animal tissue and put it in a person. And so since we have the ability in orthopedics to kill the tissue, meaning we can sterilize it, we can strip antigens, we can do all kinds of things, as opposed to doing a heart transplant where you couldn't kill the tissue. So in orthopedics, we have the advantage where we can strip those key antigens. And we designed the techniques and studies for doing that. We took it through with a bone, patellar tendon bone, the most common ACL replacement tissue from pigs, took it through a wide clinical trial in Europe, got it approved for sale. Unfortunately, the company, the company that carried that all the way through is not functioning right now. So it's not on the market right now. It will come back and eventually there will be good supply of animal tissues to replace human tissues. Right now, there are other examples where animal tissues are being used in the shoulder and for patch grafts, where they're being treated with a high level of cross-linking or glutaraldehyde, which makes them uh, durable, but doesn't make them remodel well. So it's not ideal for a knee ligament, but good enough for a shoulder patch graft or a wound graft. And there's lots of examples of xenografts, animal tissue being used in people for those kinds of patch grafts. So the whole world of tissue donation will keep evolving, and I think it will get better and better. We're very sensitive to animal rights issues, and we're very sensitive to trying to figure out how do you make sure that any tissue being used is done in a responsible way. Mm -hmm. um, so if you just took a, 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 a tissue from, from an animal with, you're saying it the the rejection that that one carbohydrate that they have causes a human body to just say i don't know what this is it could be a foreign material we're getting rid of it it's not going to grow here this is not a good idea causes probably all kinds of problems but if yes. if you can just get rid of that then it would grow to human tissue is that is that how it works it actually acts like a regeneration template, the way we talked about earlier with collagen scaffolds. Yeah. So if you put in a bone, patellar tendon bone from a donor, from a pig, the human will grow into it and humanize the tissue huh. over the course of a year. Wow. So in, in, I mean, conceivably, you could choose things that are much stronger than, than human that's exactly right. So that's what where I talked about a little bit in that TED talk. And, uh, you know, we know elephants can grow to huge weights and run 60 miles an hour and live 40 to 60 years and be 15,000 pounds. And they never seem to develop natural arthritis. Not that I would ever propose using elephant <laughs> tissue for sure. <laughs> you got people's wrong. wheels turning right now. Right. However, we can learn. Backs. <laughs> exactly. However, we can learn from the biology of their tissue. You know, what is it that's unique about their tissue? 
tissue. Same, same as your ankle joint. We can learn from your ankle. What's unique about your ankle and why don't you develop maxillary arthritis there? So there's much to learn from the animal kingdom. And I think that we eventually will be transplanting tissues that make, that are better than the ones that you injured. And we'll be using better recruitment factors to get your own body stem cells to augment those tissues and accelerate that healing. And I think the whole field of biologic replacement is exciting and, and one that I love spending my time in researching. Yeah, it's interesting because when I first was hearing about, um, you know, animal ligaments or tendons or, or parts, um, I'm thinking, well, it would be tricky to find the one that would be the right size and things. But when I watched your TED talk, you're talking about um, grinding stuff up and then then making a different material like like that would fit in your knee or whatever, making exactly what you want. What do you, what do you call that process? Yeah. So today, if you have an arthritic injury, or if you have a sudden traumatic injury, we knock off some of the cartilage inside your joint. So we do something called an articular cartilage paste graft, or we take out a little bit of bone and cartilage from the intercolor notch, that notch where your ACL goes through. We take it from there because that notch always re regrows beautifully. Take it out of the knee, smash into a paste, and pack that paste back into a prepared defect. So people have heard about microfracture and microfracture was when you're making holes and releasing marrow cells mm -hmm. to come out into the bone. And unfortunately it only formed scar tissue and would last for a few years. But if we add a paste of articular cartilage, it has the stimulating factors in the cartilage to tell that bone marrow and the material coming out, the stem cells coming out, progenitor cells coming out, seeing that paste, and are stimulated to form new cartilage. And we've demonstrated that now in a series of patients over many years. We're expanding that technique to add different things to it to make it heal better and faster. So we think we can regrow cartilage inside people's joints. And that's why I said 80% of the people who are told they need a knee replacement don't. There are other options. And it's so important to stay active. So it's worth it to take advantage of these options. Yeah. So that, that leads us to a nice little segue here, staying active and taking care of yourself in a way that you don't necessarily need to come to see someone like you, or maybe you'd kick that down the road a little ways. What, what types of things do you suggest for, for people? How, what, what, what do you, especially for the knee, the, the shoulder, um, the things that we've been talking about, maybe the ankle, um, what kind of activities or what kind of exercise or what kind of things do you think, maybe it's even nutrition, what kind of things should we be doing if we don't want to be sitting in your office? Say you're, say you're 35 and you're like, okay, well, I don't know if why I'm listening to this knee replacement thing. I'm perfect. Right. But you look at your older brother or you look at your uncle and it's like, mm, I want to pay attention. Like there, there could be things that you could do to prolong your health so that you don't have to have any kind of a knee replacement? So the first answer to that question is do what you love because it's hard to do stuff that you don't love to do. The reason CrossFit was such a great contribution to fitness and health was that it turned working out into a competition, into a sport that you could do as a group and you could quantify it, you could measure it. We trained Kelly Sturette here in San Francisco as nice. the first in his first experience as a physical therapist. So we had a lot of experience with CrossFit as it was first getting popular. 
And we th- were huge fans and still are. It's just clearly injuries can occur in anything. And that has a certain intensity to it that tends to, tends to drive more patients to my office than sure. I would like to see. <laughs> However, the idea is find the things that turn you on and that you love to do and optimize. And that's rule number one. Number two is get a great trainer. It's really hard to work out the level that we think improves your fitness and health without some guidance. You just do such a better job when you're working out under supervision. And even if it's just for a while to teach you new ways to train. Number three, find a new sport every six months. Just add to your repertoire. It doesn't have to be a whole sport, but just has to be just a little other tweak to something you might be doing. And that variety that number one, it works on different muscles in your body. It works on different flexibility. It causes you to be a smarter, better athlete and helps a ton. And then number four, optimize your weight. So use water as your primary beverage. Always reach for a glass of water first before you pick up the fork hydrate well. We we know that all athletes do better with better hydration. Their mind works better. Their bodies work better. So try to optimize your weight. 10 pounds overweight matters. You take two to 3 million steps per year at up to five times your body weight. And so a 10 pound weight loss, two to 3 million times a year is an enormous amount of force. So optimize your weight makes a key difference to your health, to your fitness, to going forward. And, you know, we find all the sports that, you know, we encourage people to add the usual ones that are easy for them, cycling and swimming and hiking and climbing. But really it's more important to find the things you love to do because you'll do them more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Now on your, um, in, in kind of your bio, it, it said a lot of different things that, that, you do with people and i took those questions out and so we've covered we've covered some of them but i kind of took them out to cover each one of these individually so if we've already covered them we we can just kind of skip over them but one was how to avoid injury like you teach your teach your clients how to avoid injury um and what what would you tell people about how to avoid injury the first thing is the mind game so make sure that when you're doing your sport even if you're doing if you're in crossfit make sure your head's there Mm-hmm. Ditch the cell phone. <laughs> Don't think about the girlfriend or the boyfriend. Think about where you are. So many errors we see are mental errors. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your mind just wasn't in the game. You 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 just were distracted. You were going a little too fast. You knew you shouldn't be. You just just that that getting your head in the game. That's really the first thing to fitness and to health and to avoiding injury. Number two, I think you mentioned early on, it's really key. Flexibility matters. Mobility matters. Doing exercises within limited ranges overuses that part of the joints. And so your ability to increase your range of motion in every joint will decrease your injury rate for sure. And so I think almost all good trainers have learned that and it's, it's pervasive in the field now, but Take a look at your flexibility. And that brings you to the third thing. Take a look at technique. And so if you're going to be doing things to train for a sport, such as doing squats, which we think is one of the best exercises you can possibly do, using good squat technique matters a ton. And you'll avoid injury and you'll build your power and flexibility and you'll you'll stay fitter. So I think those are the easy first ones to do and help you stay out of my office. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we want to do actually. And just keep doing what you're, what you were doing. That's what you want to do. And then the second one was how to repair and replace what does get injured. So we've talked about that a lot, like what, what, what you've done, but did we miss anything there? Yeah. Just don't live with your injuries. 
Mm. It's not worth it to say, oh, you know, I'll just live with it. It's no need to anymore. So many of these tissues are repairable. So many of them do so much better if you repair it or replace it right away. If a surgeon takes out your meniscus, probably put it back in right away or repair it if you can. Just don't live with that unstable knee or unstable shoulder. The techniques are good. Use it as an excuse to get better. Just grab new information and new training and new thinking rather than all, I'll just live with it. Yeah. And you have a lot of people that just live with it because they're, they're athletes. They're tough. They, they, you know, they feel like, well, if I went to the doctor for every little, little ding I've got, I'd be sitting in there every single day. So <laughs> you have like this, this tough mentality where, you know, you could possibly get it fixed in a couple of months. You'd be back to better than, better than you are right now and making progress rather than maintaining because that's where a lot of people are. They're dealing with injuries and they're maintaining what they have, but they're not getting any better. Like, like they're just not making progress. They're just avoiding the decline, right? Where you can continue to make progress for a long, long time. So the next one was how to train for balance, strength, build bone and join a team, which I found interesting. So balance and strength right off the bat balance. That's just a key one. So the sports I personally love, I stand up paddle quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I'm on the water. It's unstable. I just started e-foiling for my yeah. new sport for the ah, six months. And wow. I'm, I'm crashing all the time now, but I'm uh, trying to learn how. And so just adding those things in that are super fun to do, but really require a lot of balance. And so if you're home and not near water, you know, things, simple workout stuff, standing on a pillow when you're lifting weights or, you know, doing unstable, simple, unstable things to build your balance. Just think about every time you get a chance to do single leg exercises, close your eyes, doing it, stand on a trampoline for balance. All the little things matter a ton. So I'd say that's the first, most important. What's the second one you want to ask? Build bone. Bone responds to force. So you need to do weightlifting, resistance exercise, or hiking where you're climbing up and down hills. Those are the two easiest things. Every person after 25 or so is losing bone mass, women more rapidly than men. And it's just crucial to counteract that with resistance exercise, which is why coming back to where we started out, if you have a knee replacement, we want you to exercise more than you did beforehand rather than less. You need to build the bone around that implant and have it heal well and build your muscle around it to protect the joint. Mm-hmm. Rucking. That's one of the things that we do a lot is just, you know, put on a heavy backpack and walk up those yep. hills and, yep. and that does great things. And then uh, the last one on that sentence was join a team. Yeah. There's nothing better than team sport. It's again, coming back to CrossFit. It's how CrossFit grew so fast. Mm-hmm. You felt like you were part of a team when you right. went to the gym and and your name was on the wall and you were competing. And uh, there's nothing better than team sports to number one, increase the fun. And remember everything we've talked about today is even going into surgery does so much better when you have that smile on your face. And there's nothing that puts a bigger smile on your face than teammates. Mm. And as we all get a little bit older, we tend to lose our teams. You know, we tend to do stuff individually. We don't have access the way we did when we were younger. Change that dynamic. Look around for where the teams are. Do stuff together. Combine. Push each other a little bit. Laugh about it. And that laughter will keep you going. Yeah, that's awesome. That was one of the same. Um, well, that's a core tenant in what what 
in my life is is having these people around you that that support you and challenge you and hold you accountable and and make you laugh and all of that is is hugely important but then i found it very interesting that that dr mike simpson that i had too about um he wrote a book honed keeping your edge after 40 and one of his big things was that you should have a tribe that how important that is how important that is just exactly like what you just said of of having people that'll keep you accountable and 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 hold hold you you know to a to a standard and also make you laugh and you know just have a good time that's awesome then the next one that you had was be mentally tough which is interesting because we're 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 talking a lot about you know your mental state and then just a second ago we're talking about well you know maybe maybe don't deal with your injuries and a lot of people would think that dealing with your injury is being mentally tough like i can tough through it Right. So what when you talk about being mentally tough, as far as your patients are concerned, where, where do you go there? It's listen, not letting the injury get you down. Mm. So toughness, it can be, hey, I can resist. I can bear it. We actually don't want our patients to have pain. We do a hundred tricks to get rid of pain. We preemptively numb their knee before we ever put anything in it or operate on it. We do, we have great pain resolution techniques post-op with icing and soft tissue massage and everything else. We don't want you to have pain. We want you to shift that mindset into a positive framework. So mental toughness in part is, is, you know, there's an old kind of fake expression called illegitimate non carborundum. It was a, don't let the bastards get you down. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, don't, don't let the injury get you down. Let's let's your toughness is not an enduring pain. Your toughness is in resetting your agenda. And the better you are at that, the better you're going to do in everything you do in life. Nice. And also using it as an opportunity. Like I liked what you said about that, because that's something that, that with, you know, people that I work out with, you, you have an injury or I had, uh, I, I blew out my calf. I tore, tore my soleus muscle. And, um, so my thought was, well, you know what, I'm going to get really great at pull-ups because I don't need my soleus muscle to do pull-ups. I'm going to, I'm, that's what I'm going to focus on for the next three or five months. I'm going to focus on this. I, I, I'm not able to run. So what can I do? And instead of saying, I can't run, I can't run, I can't do this. I can't do that. Like what, what can I do? And then how can I allow that to make me better at, at basically everything. So that's what, that's what I did. And that's, Oh, that's what, Oh, look at that. It's next. How to reframe what you can and can't do. <laughs> I didn't even see that on there. <laughs> I yep. stole your thunder. What, what, uh, what do you say you, about uh, what you reframing, what you can and can't do? I think you did it perfectly well. It's, it's really seeing the opportunities and, and being creative and don't forget how much imagination and creativity affect you and your ability to do things, whether it's recovery from an injury, avoiding an injury, or just setting a new goal. Just think about creativity. Think about imagination. And we talk about a little bit in terms of fantasy versus visualization. So visualization is where you're kind of memorizing exactly the steps to do to to do whatever it is you want to do. And even if in, in casting, you know, you're visualizing exactly the move fantasy is catching the enormous fish mm. and just in being out there and dreaming big and you'll, you'll enjoy it more and you'll do better with a little more fantasy than visualization. Nice. And continuing your, uh, or positioning yourself for continual improvement, continual improvement. 
Yeah, as we said, you know, you're you're 50, but that means you got 50 more years to get better. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, you, you, and you've got experience in that head to to apply to the things you're going to work on now or play with now. And I don't ever love the word work on as much as I love play with play with and um, bring that sense of maturity and playfulness and experience and wisdom and, and, and dream big and, and have some fun with it and be creative about what you do. That's awesome. Um, so you have, you have obviously just a really great practice and, and what, what strikes me most is that you, you remain imaginative and creative and, and playful in, in the way that you can tell in the way that you speak in the way that in the words that you choose to use, how do you, do you pay attention to that a lot? Is that something that you, that you think about like the words that you choose to use and the words that you don't choose to use and how language affects your attitude and, and your mindset? Sure. You know, essentially a surgeon is a coach. Much of what I do all day long is coach people. I can fix their knee or fix their meniscus or replace with this issue. But the only way I'm going to have success and the only way they're going to have success is if I can coach them into that mind space that says, not only can I do this, I can do it better than I've ever done it before. Nice. And if I can get inside that head of the patient to do that, and then if I can convince them to become athletes for life with us and, and keep training, keep evolving, evolve with us, we're evolving. We're learning more and more about what to do, how to train, how to recover, it's a, it's just keeping that drive, that innovative drive to, to be excited about what you're doing, to be excited about pushing the envelope forward and to capture the patient's imagination about doing that with you. So if I can partner with you, we're going to have a great experience forever. We're going to talk forever. We're going to, it's going to be a great experience forever. If I can't, then maybe I shouldn't operate on you or I shouldn't, you know, I should guide you in a different path and have you find somebody who you can really listen to and bond with and who speaks your language. And just as I said earlier about finding, you know, the bias of your surgeon, it's finding the, the dynamic that you vibrate with, that you relate to, that feels right to you, just like in your son's care. You know, you found someone who was thinking creatively and it felt right to you. Mm-hmm. And my guidance to any patient and guidance to your listeners is use that. Think about what feels right to you. And in generally, it's going to be on track. Right. So I'm sure that there are, I mean, a lot of people listening to this right now, including myself, that are thinking, man, well, I like everything that you're saying. <laughs> like, I want you to take a look at my knee. How do you do you do that? Like uh, on a on a national level or does somebody need to come see you or what? What do you if somebody was was like, man, I want to get a second opinion uh, about this knee replacement I'm getting or this knee pain that I'm having. And I want to come out there and, and see you. Is there another way? Yep. So there's two ways to do it. Clearly the best way is come see us. Cause then I get to bond with you better. I get my hands on your knee or shoulder or wherever. And, and I get to really understand how you move. I can watch how you move up and down the hall. I can watch how you train with our fitness team because you will when you come so we can understand, you know, how you move is so important. So coming to visit us at the Stone Clinic in San Francisco is the first and best way. If you, but I treat patients from all over the world. And so we've set up the system at stoneclinic.com outside consult or consults where you can just upload your x-rays and MRI and history, and then work with our patient coordinator and get on the phone with me. And I'll look at your images and um, to the best of my ability that I can try to figure out what's likely that would benefit from you with a final decision, of course, made when I come, when you come see me, but generally I can give a, give you a pretty good guidance about what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. If you can send me your x-rays and MRI and, uh, 
of the injured part. That's wow. that's in general the way it works. And, and we don't charge for that. It's free. And just if I can, the only big challenge with it is just getting enough of my time and enough of the nurse's time, getting all the information together, which is sometimes hard for patients because their x-rays or MRIs are tied up in one healthcare system or another. So, you know, getting a hold of those and uploading them, there's a really simple uploader on that stoneclinic.com site. And we try to make it as easy as possible for everybody. So to the best of my ability, I'm happy to help people. I don't charge for it and uh, happy to help them get on the right path. Wow, that's amazing. And, and in part, that's what the Play Forever book is. You know, people ask, well, hey, why'd you write this book? Because um, I think rather than just one-on-one -on -one conversation, I can reach out to more people and hopefully inspire them around the words that we've used today. And I've optimized that in that book. And uh, and hopefully people will read it and like it or send me some feedback or tell me what I missed or tell me where I should go to next. Because again, as I said, if we're doing the th same things next year as we're doing this year, we haven't learned anything. And I learned the most from my patients. And quite frankly, uh, I learned the most from my patients who cheat. Uh, who cheat? So, like in what way? <laughs> so basically I tell them, hey, listen, here's the limits, of what you can do here. Here's where we think you can push it. And they come back and show me that they gave up their crutch or they gave up their whatever, and they did even better. And so over the years, I learned from the patients who didn't follow my advice and did well, and saying, get a pause and study them. Well, why did that work for that patient? What did they figure out that we didn't know? And that's what helped teach us that, hey, you can really push a lot harder than people thought. And the limits are, are not what you thought they were. They could be much greater. And that wow. came from listening to the patients and learning from them. That's fantastic. Well, we're going to get along just fine because I've been told by several orthopedics that I should be in a padded room because I wanted to exercise. I, like, I was like, no, the, the recovery should be faster, like with this torn soleus muscle. And, and they're like, yeah. no, you shouldn't be exercising. And I said, I shouldn't be exercising. Like, well, how are the pull-ups mess with my soleus. Like exactly. I'm not going to mess up my soleus doing sit-ups or pull-ups or there's a thousand things that I can do. Right. And they were like, yeah, you should be in a padded room. That's what they told me. <laughs> and I was like, well, or maybe, or maybe like exercise is really good for lots of things, including my brain. And without it, right. I'm going to go crazy. And so right. I need to exercise. Plus you got blood, extra blood flow. I mean, it, I'm, I'm no doctor. This is total bro science, but you increase the blood flow throughout your entire body. That's got to be good for something, right? That'd be good. It's got to yeah. be good. Right. So yeah. anyway, I, I, I agree with you a thousand percent with all of that. And that's been my experience of how to, how to heal faster is, you know, have a good positive attitude and, and get lots of exercise and pay attention to what you're eating and, you know, fuel your body in a way that like you're an athlete and like you're preparing for, for a competition rather than preparing, you know, recovering from injury, which a lot of people sit around and eat ice cream for six months. And be sure you speak to your, to your listeners who are not naturally athletes. And there are, there are lots of great ways to exercise gently. Mm -hmm. So if they have access to a swimming pool, but they're not necessarily swimmers, just walking laps in the pool, chest yeah. deep water, walk side to side and try to do that 20 times. And every day, just try to do that a little faster. It's a very gentle, simple way to exercise and get your heart rate up and move all your muscles. If you just like to walk, just set a little goal of walking a little farther each day or find a hill and walking a little more on the hill or use a clock or a fitness guide or a fitness app and just put a little quantification into the things you're doing and 
add a little bit more each day and just never watch a TV or read a book while you're sitting on a spin bike because you lose 50% of the benefit of that exercise. You've got to learn how to listen to you. You have to learn how to listen to your body and know where your heart rate is and know where your breathing is and then listen to push a little bit farther. And if you're watching TV or reading a book, there's no chance you're listening to your body in that way that exercise so beautifully does. What about listening to music? Music is different. Yeah. Music is really totally different. Or an audio book or something. What if somebody's listening to your book? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No, that doesn't count. No, that works for (laughs) Yeah. We we want you to listen to you. A big part of what we've talked about today is getting people in tune with their own body and listening to themselves and knowing where their limits thought they were and knowing how to push beyond them a little bit. And I think in exercise, especially if you're trying to do something to be fit for another sport, it's really important to listen to where, where you are. When do you get tired? Where's your, where's your balance off? Where are you breathing too hard and figure out how to push that a little bit more. So a big part of this message is you're, you've got a lot within you. (laughs) My job is to help you bring it out and push it a little bit and push the science and um, keep you fit enough to do all that. But don't lose sight of the fact that right around you, you've got lots of opportunity to exercise, whether you're a CrossFit athlete or whether just going for a walk is what you can do Mm -hmm. and just go for a little longer walk. And especially if you're a hunter, you know, push yourself a little bit so that you're not sitting in a blind all day or you just, you know, if you're going to be sitting, you know, you're going to be sitting, try to get that exercise in before and after or taking breaks. Just look at every opportunity you're living within. And say, how do I be creative with that opportunity to change my dynamic a little bit? I love it, man. That's awesome. So with all this uh, hope, um, what's the future look like for for orthopedics? Maybe not orthopedics as a whole, but maybe it's maybe it's your your orthopedics. Like where where do you see the frontier? Yeah. So we want to repair tissues that you come back better than you were before. Mm. And so much about what we talked about today was your mind and your body coming back better, but I want to be able to put tissues in that are better. I want to be able to stimulate healing that makes a stronger tissue. Why should you tear your soleus and you shouldn't tear it twice. So if you're going to come to me with your torn soleus, I want to be able to add growth factors to that and add a rehab program so that that doesn't tear again. So the whole field of orthobiologics and sports medicine is how do we help people become fitter, faster, stronger, as we like to say, better than they were before? And, and that's the fun of what we're doing. That's where all the research is. It's where all the science is. And, and it's the challenge. And clearly, you know, we can't succeed in some places we thought, but maybe we can if we look at it a little bit differently. Wow. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. You gave us, gave us so much information so, to think about and just, you know, for a lot of people, really, just, just hope that that. It's not over. It's definitely not over. You're only Good. 40% well, there, 30% there. You got yeah. 70% more to go. And well, uh, I hope that I hope that book Play Forever communicates the things we talked about today. I'd love to hear from you and know, you know, did we do a good job of that or not? Could we write about other things? Are there subjects you haven't heard about you'd love to hear about? And part of the things I love to do is communicating that information if I can. Nice. So that book's coming out December 14th. Is that what you said? Yes. And yes. where will it be available? Amazon. Amazon. And yeah. will it, is, uh, is it audiobook as well? It'll be uh, print on demand at first, and then eventually it'll be an audiobook. Okay. But first it'll be an ebook and print. Okay. 
Cool. Um, and then, so let's go over how people can um, contact you, how they could follow you, how they could learn more about all the things that we talked about, as well as buying your book. So Play Forever, um, Dr. Kevin R. Stone, and um, just look that up on Amazon, I'm assuming. Yep. That's, that's December what you do. 14th, that'll pop that first week. I think they offer it at a big discount for the first week, as they often do, and that's probably the best time to buy it. And then uh, stoneclinic.com is where all the information on uh, getting your knee helped and stoneresearch.org is where all the research is. Okay. All right. Dr. Stone, thank you very much. That was awesome. Thank you. Happy to help anytime. All right. We'll do it again. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.